appreciate Jeff always moving my podium for me. That's small act of kindness. It means a lot for me. Glad you guys are here. This is our uh, last of our first series. I know that sounds weird to say, but that's, uh, that's where we are. We've been looking at our focus for 2022 over the past few weeks, and our focus is first and how we are going to do things first. We, last year it was immeasurably more, and, and I told you guys over the last few weeks that I wanted to do more than just more, and so we've kind of settled in on what it means to, to live with God first. We've looked at uh, forgiving first and praying first. We've looked at believing the best first and serving first. First and devoting ourselves first. And even last week as we looked at service, I know that there's a lot of folks who texted me um, on Sunday afternoon and Monday morning about, hey, put me down for this or put me down for that. And remember, we ended the service last week with a list of ministries that, that you could serve in. And so uh, for those of you who may be called to church and haven't heard anything from me, that's, don't take that personally. As, uh, as soon as we left church uh, last week, Monday morning, we got up and we left town for a week, just Jess and I, uh, by ourselves with no kids, and it was awesome, and I was not worried about who called the church last week. So I will get back with you this week. I'll kind of uh, make contact and try to shoot you over a little bit of information about different areas and some things that are coming up in those areas that you can serve in. And this week, uh, we're going to really kind of look at our focus verse and, and see how that all ties in, and this will be our last one, kind of put a big bow on this as we push forward. This all stems from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, which is a verse you guys have heard a hundred times before. Uh, if you've been following along with us, we've read it every week. Uh, Seek first the kingdom, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Uh, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So when we think about that, I want us to kind of look at really whenever we, we think that, we go, oh, that's easy, we can do that. We kind of we try to do that on our daily life. But when you put that in context with the rest of what Jesus was saying in this moment, it really takes this statement to a, a really deep level. I, I know you guys are are smart enough and, and intuitive enough to know that these things will be added uh, are not these things, are not material things, they're not fame and fortune things. You guys are smart enough to know that. These are all the God things, the things that, that, uh, that he has for us. But when, again, you put it in context of everything else that he just said, it really brings new light. So that's what we're going to do today. If you've got your Bibles, uh, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to kind of settle in to that. But before we do that, let's just do a simple crowd exercise just to make sure we're all awake and make sure we're all plugged in, okay? So here's what we want to do. If you're a guest this morning, uh, just we're all family here, and so there's no way to be introduced to awkward family things and doing awkward family things. And so um, if, if, you, if, you, if you feel a little uncomfortable and you don't want to do this, then, um, then just look around and everybody else is going to be just as uncomfortable too. So how many of you understand, uh, raise your hand if you understand that there are things in your life that are out of your control. Okay. So just raise your hand if you believe that. Okay, good. That's great. Okay. Now raise your hand if you believe that there are things that happen in your life that are very much in your control. Okay. You have control over certain things. Great. Good. Now raise your hand if you worry about both of those things. Yeah, good. Yeah, nobody's lying. That's good. Okay, so here's the deal. We, isn't it kind of wild to think that we sit around and we, we worry about things that we can control, that we have the ability to control, and we also worry about things that are outside of our control. It's really, I believe, kind of the backbone to a lot of different um, 
kind of programmed things in our life. If you, if you watch any, uh, we don't watch much TV. Uh, we watch a lot of Netflix and, uh, and a lot of uh, Peacock now. Uh, but we don't watch a lot of like, cable TV. We just don't do that. Uh, I, I rarely ever watch commercials anymore uh, because uh, thankfully we have those devices that allow us to fast forward through all those things. Uh, but if you watch commercials, almost every marketing campaign that is available right now centers around alleviating some area of worry in your life, right? You don't know what kind of car to buy for your teenager. Well, buy this car because it has the highest safety te- crash test ratings that there is. You don't have to worry about them. If, if you worry about somebody stealing your identity, then you should buy LifeLock, right? If you're worried about somebody stealing stuff in your house, then you should buy ADT. Uh, if you're worrying you're paying too much for car insurance, then 15 minutes can save you 15% or more, right? Because we're always thinking about, oh, well, what if I'm doing this? Well, what if this is not as good as it would? We're always worried about something. And the, these ad guys are smart guys, and, and, and they know that, that if we tap into that sense of worry, then we can maybe alleviate that or take advantage of that or maybe even manipulate that for our uh, own benefit. And I know it's kind of a silly way to look at it like that. And, 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 and hear me, these are major issues in our life that we worry about. Worry leads to stress and anxiety, and, and, and I'm not downplaying any, any of that. These are, those are things that we have to kind of figure out and, and learn how to deal with on a daily basis. But the problem is we still worry. We come back to it over and over. We worry about our kids and about our marriages. We worry about our finances and our deadlines and, and maybe our retirement. And we worry about uh, our jobs and our future and those unknown things, those things that are out of our control. And they'll sometimes just begin to eat away at us over and over and over again. And we try, we try to put things into proper perspective. We try to kind of pull all that in for us. But thankfully this morning, what we're going to read is that scripture does that for us. And so if you've got Matthew chapter six, let's go back uh, into verse uh, 25. It says this, this is Jesus speaking. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body. What you'll wear is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. This is why I love this passage of scripture. We're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the longest recorded sermon that we have of Jesus. He's talking about real life stuff. He's talking about marriage and divorce and anger and hatred. He's talking about lust and adultery. He's challenging the social standard of who is really blessed. If you read the Beatitudes at the beginning of Matthew chapter five, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the, uh, you know, all these different things. Those are challenging social standards. Those are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be filled. It's, it's seeing that what we have does not equate being blessed, but but who is in control of our life and what we surrender ourselves to is what actually means being blessed. He talks about forgiveness in a way that people have never talked about forgiveness before. And then he speaks, I think, to the very heart of everybody who was there, everybody who was listening. And he says, do not worry about your life. Now we, in our enlightened 21st century American lives, go, well, that was really easy for them. They didn't have a mortgage. 
right? They didn't, they didn't have to be under uh, the, you know, this constant oppression of, of social media and 24-hour news. They weren't worried about uh, Russia and Ukraine. Uh, Russia wasn't even a country yet, and neither was Ukraine. They weren't worried about these things. They didn't have to worry about their uh, financial portfolio to make sure they had enough to retire. They weren't worried about cancel culture or gender identity or race relations. They weren't worried about any of that. And on some level, yeah, some level, no. They were worried about, were they going to be able to eat food that day? They were worried about uh, paying taxes to a government and to a Caesar that could care less about them but still ruled and heavily taxed them anyway. They were worried about getting a common cold because that could kill them. And they were worried what would happen if the Jewish elite found out that they were followers of Jesus, what would they do to them or to their families? They were worried about surviving day in and day out. And please hear me, I would never stand on this stage and say, well, compare their list and see how silly it is for you to worry about the things you were worried about because they were worried about so much more important. No, anybody who ever says that to you, let me just say that, anybody who ever says that to you is wrong. Should never do that to you. Because although your, your worries are different, they're still just as heavy. We worry about things that we have to because of the world that we live in. They worried about things that they had to because of the world that they lived in. This is not a comparison list. This is not a how dare we worry about the silly things in life. That, no, we worry about big things. They're big things to us. But the lesson is still the same. And Jesus' words really are still the same. Do not worry about your life. See, your life is different even than my life. We don't have the same set of worries. We have different things that are going on. We have different uh, challenges and different things that happen in our life and that have happened even in our pasts. We have different stresses, different experiences, different deadlines and different family relations. But the lesson's still the same. That's what Jesus does. He speaks to a crowd and gives them this, this incredible statement. But when you step back and think about it, he's speaking individually to each one of us. Do not worry about your life, whatever that wrath looks like. Read that verse again, 625. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes. He's impeccably contrasting life and the body and food and clothes. And here's what's great about this. This word, the Greek word for life is the same one that's translated as your soul. Is your soul who you really are as a person? At the core of who you are, how you interact with God, your life. So isn't that more important than food? It does the same thing with body. This is your physical, actual body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, this incredible example of God's creative power and his individual uniqueness. Like we are all same, but we are all different. It's not that body, this decaying thing that God made you. Is that, isn't, that, isn't that worth more than clothes that we put on it? Isn't it more valuable then all of that, one commentary I read summarized that statement uh, as this. It said, God has given you the greater, 
Can you not trust him to give you also the less? I like that. God's given you the greater. Can you not also trust him just to give you the less? We have, we have all this blessing that God's given us, but yet we worry about these little things in contrast to these big things he's already blessed us with. He's given us the greater. He's taken care of us in life and body. I'm just thinking handle our money. I'm just thinking handle our kids or our marriages. He's given the greater. And after this, Jesus gives a couple examples. If you were to keep reading, he talks about birds and lilies and asks this incredible question in verse 27. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Now we're gonna, we're gonna skip this phrase for now, but I didn't want you to think that I was gonna overlook it because we're gonna come back to that at the end and it's so good. Uh, I promise, just hang tight on that. Now, if you've been following along and you know that our, our, our theme is first, and uh, you read these verses, you even hear me talk about them. Some of you are really hoping that, uh, that the theme for today is going to be that we're going to worry first, right? We're going to serve first. We're going we're to love first. We're going to forgive first. And today we're talking about we must be worrying first. Great. That's, we can do that. That's, that's one of those lists that we put out in the foyer and everybody signs up for, right? All right, I can do that. that one, don't, don't worry. I'm already doing that one. But that's not what today's about because like only Jesus does, he gets down to the root of the issue of worry, I believe. And he, he challenges us on a very deep level. He, he just finished talking about the lilies of the field and how they're clothed in splendor and, and how uh, you know, the birds store, they don't store up, but they're still fed and all that kind of stuff. In verse 30 of chapter six, he says this. Now, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you Oh, you of little faith. And I think that's where it's at. It hit me a few weeks ago when I was reading through this and I thought, that's it. Worry is a faith issue. But not, but not like what you think it is. This, this phrase, oh, you of little faith, in, in the Greek language is one word. And it's, uh, it's, it's oligopetus, and I know that's a big fancy word, but it's just one word. It's translated, oh, you of little faith. It's used in scripture, I think five times, all only by Jesus. He's the only person who says that word in scripture. He says, he uses it here in talking about worry. Uh, another example is when he was in um, when he was in the boat with the disciples and they were crossing the Sea of Galilee, you remember this, and the storm came and Jesus is asleep, napping on the, on the cushion in the boat and the disciples wake him up frantic and, and tell him, don't you care about if we, if we drowned or not? And he says to them, oligopetus, oh, you have little faith. And he stands up and he calms the, the storm and the winds and the waves obey him. It's a really great story. He uses it again when, when Peter is walking on water and he's looking at Jesus and he's walking fine, but as soon as he looks around him, he begins to sink and he, he kind of looks at Peter and says the same phrase, so you a little faith. He uses it uh, one other time, I believe, when, um, when the disciples, he was teaching the disciples about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, um, and he uses an analogy that that just went way over their head. They didn't get it. He was talking about um, 
the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees getting in and infecting uh, the, the followers of Christ. And they thought he was talking about bread. And they were like, what does bread have to do with this? And he kind of says, oh, you have little faith. What are you talking about? You don't get it. Like think bigger, think deeper than all of that. And so um, these four or five different times that Jesus uses it, he's the only one. And, and each time he uses it, he's not scolding the disciples. Because these are men who had faith. In every instance, in every meaning of the word, these guys were following Jesus, abandoning all of their life and abandoning all of the things that they knew before and, and living a life devoted to the Christ, to the Messiah, the one that they believed he, who he was. So they had faith. Peter was walking on water. He had faith. These guys are, are, are around him and, and they weren't unbelieving it's almost like their faith was just weak in that moment. Another commentary I read said this, they lacked in moments of anxiety the courage which leads men to rely implicitly on the love and wisdom of their father. I love that. They lacked the courage to rely on him. It wasn't that they were unbelieving. It wasn't that they, their faith was waning it's just they lack the courage to rely implicitly on the love and the wisdom of the Father. And we can all say, been there, done that, right? Well, I won't make you raise your hands again like we did earlier. But we've been there. When life kind of throws us things that we are so unprepared for, and we just mull over and over and over the what ifs and the Oh no's and the what could be's and the I don't knows. It's not a it's not that we don't have faith. If somebody handed you a cancer diagnosis, you would know that God is big enough. You would know that God could handle. You would know that God has said that He will never leave us or forsake us. We would know all those things. Our faith is there, but maybe our courage and our control is not. See, I think that's where it lines. I think that's where it all comes back to, that this is a control issue. The disciples on the boat had no control over the storm, but Jesus did. Peter, walking on water, did not have control of that situation, but Jesus did. And I think that we worry over things that we don't have control over. Jesus isn't condescending, O you of little faith. He's just kind of drawing us back to saying, listen, you don't have to have control. Now look how he assures us, verse 31, he keeps speaking. He says, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. I love this because he's saying, listen, don't worry about these things, these external things. Pagans run after them. Their focus is on the wrong thing. They're trying to fix the issue on their own or they're running after physical solutions to those things. Those are things that they can do to make their situation better. Our focus should be on him and what he can do. They're focused on getting more. They're focused on accumulating more, having the best, or they're running after these things, these physical things, and our focus 
should be on something even bigger than all that. And on top of all that, your heavenly father knows that you need them. That's, <laughs> we could just sit and talk about that for an hour. That God knows all the things that we need before we even need them. Before we even ask for them. It says, why are, you, why are you worried about those things? Pagans run after those things. Why worry better when you can come to me? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. Psalm 55, 22, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, we all know this one. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Over and over again, Scripture tells us, use me. Bring it to me. Don't worry. Even better, if if your focus is on the wrong thing. Don't, don't run after these things. I know what you need in the situation. Trust me, the things that are out of your control, I'm in control of. And so here's this prescription, which is great. Verse 33, our theme verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first and here's the problem, I think. We seek everything else before we seek him. We seek popularity and we seek fame and we seek advice from friends and we may even seek relaxation or a beer with our buddies or uh, the gossip mill around town or what makes us feel good or the easy way. We seek all those things before we seek him. And what we find ourselves doing is we run in after the same things that the pagans run after. Those people who don't believe in God. He just told us, don't worry about these things. Pagans run after these things, but we keep seeking those things out instead of seeking him. And my big point for today, I don't have this one really, it's one point on the, on the screen. Our desire to seek other things equates our lack of seeking the right thing. Our desire to seek other things equates our lack of seeking the right thing because when you go to the right thing, there's no reason to go anywhere else. But we go to all those other places first. When things are out of our control, we turn to things that we think that we can control and we seek those things to fulfill us or to make us feel better or to maybe ease our mind or maybe even control the situation even knowing that those things lack the ability to ultimately control And our desire to seek those things shows just our lack of seeking the right thing. It's a decision. It's a choice. It's a conscious. I'm I'm not going to run after this stuff that I know that doesn't fulfill. And I know this stuff that doesn't really make me who I'm supposed to be. I'm going to not chase those things. And I'm going to seek after his kingdom and his righteousness.
The kingdom of God, we're going to talk a lot about this around Easter uh, this year. I'm excited for Easter and and all the things that are going to lead up to that. The kingdom of God, the right now, king on his throne, kingdom of God, where we live and breathe and move and make decisions and, and, and trust and relinquish control of our lives over to him. When we seek out a life that is reflective of Christ, we can pray the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that should not, that if we're just praying it flippantly should scare us to death. But if we are living kingdom minded and we are seeking after his kingdom, then then that should not scare us. God rule and reign here like you rule and reign in heaven. And then not only just his kingdom, but we're also supposed to seek after his righteousness, right? Not our own self-righteousness, not the things that we like to pat ourselves on the back of and say, look what I've done, look how I've handled it. But seeking his standard of right and wrong. See how that eliminates these question marks of, of culture? That God's standards supersedes cultural standards? We're not, worried, we're not worried about being socially right. I'm worried about being spiritually right. I'm seeking out his righteousness, his standard of acceptable and unacceptable. Not placated faith like we talked about last week, but a real genuine righteousness that comes through faith in him. And if we are to seek, and that that, that culture um, kind of counteracts culture, it counteracts worry. In the same breath, it counteracts our need for control. And it counteracts our own will, which leads us to surrender to his will and his righteousness. It's this incredible moment of saying, listen, I don't, what I want anymore doesn't matter. I want what God wants. What I, what I desire out of the situation really isn't as important as what God desires out of the situation. So I'm, I'm going to kind of seek out what he wants. Because every time we read in Scripture, every story that we read in Scripture, when somebody tries to do it their own way, they end up falling short. And when they do it what God wants and how he wills, then it ends up being something even better than what they ever experienced. And we read those stories and go, man, that's a great story. Wish it counteracted or wish it was really real in my life. But then we live counteractive to what scripture says and we learn that same lesson again we could probably sit around and tell stories all afternoon of I tried this on my own and I fell flat on my face and it was really really hard and I made a lot of mistakes and then I tried it the way God wanted and it was just a little easier it didn't always turn out the way I thought it would but it turned out the way he wanted it but time and time again when when worry creeps in and the lack of control kind of takes over and we have this moment of what are we going to seek? Well, I don't know if I'm going to seek his righteousness. Well, I don't know if I'm going to seek his kingdom. It's, it's kind of my decision to make. And I want to be the one calling the shots in my life. And we, we know like that doesn't work. We know. Another commentary I read this past week, and I was just kind of studying up on this, it said, the one who seeks for this may well be content to leave all else in the Father's hands. 
Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The one who seeks for this may be well content to leave everything else. God, I'm going to seek after your righteousness. I'm going to seek after your kingdom. All this other stuff, I'm going to let you handle it. All these other worries, all these other things that are pulling me, all these other you know, deadlines and whatever, I'm going to let you handle those. I'm, I'm going to seek after these things. He can handle it. He can, he can handle it. We, we like to think that our situation is unique in history. Right? Nobody else has ever had the pressure that I'm living under. Nobody else has ever felt this way before. Nobody else has sinned as bad as we have sinned or has ever wandered as far as we've wandered. He can handle it. And you're not alone. And you're not unique in your situation. It may be unique in your life. It may be something that you've never done before, but God's done it before. He's handled it before. And he can handle yours as well. Here's my last thought and I'm gonna be done. Um, Luke chapter 12 gives the same account of Jesus' teaching. Um, if you read your gospels, hopefully you do that. You, you know that uh, you read the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and even John, there's going to be some overlapping stories because these men are telling the same story from different perspectives. And, and Luke chapter 12 is the same as Matthew chapter 6. Okay? So he's, he's kind of given the same story, the same rundown, but just from Luke's perspective, which is fantastic. Um, and, and out beside that in Luke 12, I have written in my Bible, which I hope you do, you should write in your Bible. Um, I have the word... No wassy wassy. You know, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. But here's why I have that written in my Bible. In 2001, you guys know that I went to Africa. Spent three weeks in Africa. Had an incredible experience there. 315 people gave their life to Jesus. And it was just me and my brother-in-law. Um, and we were just going hut to hut. Um, we were going in. We had the opportunity to preach in schools and in bars and in street corners and in people's homes. And it was just God was doing some really incredible things. And uh, he, we would divide up and come back and and we'd just sit down and go, what what all God did, did God do with you today? And well, forty seven people gave their life to Jesus. That's awesome, man. Thirty five people with me, and so we just kept a tally of what God was doing. It was great. Um, while we were there, we had an opportunity to sit and speak with a group of local pastors. They, uh, they knew that we were there. They wanted to kind of come and they wanted us to pour into them, which was a very awkward moment for me being about 20, uh, 22 years old. Um, and so we gathered with this group of about nine or 10 men and, and they all had a, a copy of the Bible in their hand and they had a, a piece of paper and a pencil and they were ready to like take notes and learn. And, and so we just kind of were thrown into that and said, okay, well, what do you guys want us to talk to you about? You know, what, what is it that, um, that we could help you with? And they said, will you teach us how to not worry? And it floored me. Not because these men struggled. Like, I mean, I got it. They were, they were in every sense of the word, they were very poor people. They were, uh, you know, if they didn't, what grew in their backyard didn't grow, then they didn't probably eat that day. If, if, uh, if a lot of them had a job outside of just 
taking care of the little plot of land that they had. Uh, they worked very hard at that job and then would gather on Sundays with a small crowd of, of folks and, and, and try to pour into them what God had taught them for the week. And it's just this incredible um, life that they were living. So yeah, I, I get it that they would worry, right? But what was really hard for me is that they assumed that we as Americans didn't worry. I mean, from their perspective, what did we have to worry about? We had, we had homes and we had food and we had jobs and we had the comforts of our lifestyle that they you know, wanted and desired for themselves. And when we told them that we struggled with worry too, it was, you could almost see it in their face. On one hand, it was, it was encouraging. Like they were like, okay, we're not in this alone. We're not, we're not we're not unique in our situation. We're not, we're, we're, we're kind of, we're kind of connected in this way. But on the other hand, it was, it was discouraging. It's almost like you could see the, the air come out of their balloon. It was just like, oh my goodness. There's a never ending cycle of worry, no matter where you are, no matter your circumstance. The Swahili word for worry is wasi wasi. It took me about 40 times hearing that to, to connect the two from our translator because uh, we would say something and the translator would, would say it and he would say that little phrase. And I remember my brother-in-law and I were looking at each other and kind of giggle and go, what's he talking about, wassy, wassy? And then we finally just said, is that the word for worry? He, oh, yeah. And then we would say it and they would all laugh at us because we didn't have the right accent uh, to, to, speak, to speak it correctly. But then it was like a wake-up moment for me. I remember at 22 thinking, if worry is something that's this real, then I have to figure out how to deal with it. I have to figure out how to fight it. And it, it hit me. As we were teaching these men, that's why it's marked in my Bible the way it is. Luke records something that Jesus said that Matthew doesn't have. Okay, our, our theme passage is Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But if you read Luke, it, it has a little extra. He says this in verse 25. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Matthew says that. And then Luke says, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? <laughs> I, read, I remember reading it. In that moment, trying to teach these men, going, if you can't do this very little thing, and I'm going, what are you talking about? That's not a little thing. Adding hours to our life is a very little thing to Jesus. That's what he said. If you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest of it? And, and that's how God sees our lives. Yes, the things that we face are big things, but we also serve a very big God. And he understands the emotions and the fears and the worries of our hearts. And scripture teaches that he is full of compassion and rich in mercy, right? And if those things are big things to us, they're big things to him. He's not negating the size of the things that we deal with. It's not dismissive. Oh, oh, those things are little and insignificant things to him. He's saying if it's a big deal to us, it's a big deal to him. But Luke just brings us back to the reality of God's power and God's control and God's ability to do whatever he wants to do. Where our control has limits, his does not. When we have no power over a situation, he does. And we have little ability to change our circumstances. 
If you read 2 Corinthians 9, 8, I think it's on the screen, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. All things, at all times, having all that you need, he can give all grace to us. If God can do all that he can do, if he can add hours to our lives, he can take our worries and he can take our fears and he can take our lack of control moments and he can make all grace abound to us. Our job, our job is to seek him first, his kingdom, and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. See, that's the, the anecdote to worry is grace. The Second Corinthians passage, I'm telling you, should be written on our mirrors at home. So that when we get up in the morning, we see it. It should be written on little pieces of paper that we put on our desks so that we see it and we're reminded that God is able. He is able to take the things that we have no control over because he has control over those. He's able to take the fears and the worries and the, the, the really kind of insecure, lack of control moments of our heart. He is able He's also able to make all grace abound. He can can negate the worry in our life by giving grace so that in all things at all times, having all that we need, you can do the work that God's put in front of you. Our job is to seek first. And really, church, that's where we're going to leave it. Our focus for... 2022 is that we will seek first. What does God want for us? We're going to seek it first. Where's God going to take us this year? We're going to seek him first. What decisions do we need to make personally for our own life and our own family, our own marriages and our own kids? We're going to seek him first, his kingdom, his righteousness. We're going to seek first. Knowing that God is able. And listen, I'm going to tell you straight from the jump. This is the end of February, the 20, February 27th, I think it's today's date. It may not go how you want it to. But when we seek his first, it'll go the way he wants it to. I love you guys. But I trust him more than I trust you. Trust him more than I trust myself. And my responsibility will be to seek him first. Will you join with me? Will you stand with me? TJ's going to come. We're going to have an invitation. It's just an opportunity for you to respond to this. Some of you may be saying, listen, I'm really consumed with worry. And I needed to hear that God's able today. It's not going to take your situation away, but it changes your perspective on your situation. Some of you just need to say, I've been seeking a lot of other things, but I've not been seeking him. I need to change the direction in my life.
Don't miss an opportunity to kind of commit back to some things that need to be priority, some things that need to be right. And don't miss this opportunity to let God speak some real truth to you. If you need to come and talk to me about what it means to be saved, what it means to be a church member, what it means to really seek God in the first place, I'd love to talk to you about that. This is your opportunity to seek him first. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for today and thank you for the lessons that we've talked about over the last few weeks of first. And God, today is one that we all deal with. It's, it's, not, it's not just a specific people. It's everybody that deals with this wonder and worry and control and lack of control. And God, we trust you with all the big things and we want to trust you with all the little things and we know that you can handle all of this. You are able and so help us to lean into that. And Father, forgive us for when we seek other things. When we seek out our own way, our own wants, our own path. And we don't just simply come and seek out what you want. God, it's so easy. We make it so hard. Help us, Father. Help us to live the way we say we want to. Help us seek you first. God, if there's somebody here this morning that has questions about all of this, I would love nothing more than to talk to them and to walk them through what it means to really seek after your righteousness, your kingdom. God, help us to to have real intentional conversation. God, if somebody has questions about the church or about joining the church, God, this is an opportunity to respond to whatever you're calling us to this morning. Personally, collectively, individually, as a family, God, help us to respond to the truth of who you are. In this moment, don't let us miss this opportunity. We love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.